Welcome back to Thriving in Business and Life. This is Will Wilkinson. And this is Christopher Harding. We covered a topic about bias last week, Will, and it's... uh, I was going to say that's one of my favorites, but that would be admitting to a bias. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and this week, you know, we're going to look at kind of the third part of what we consider to be kind of a level in our online course of upgrading the software of your mind, where we looked at the power of story. Right. We looked at how biases influence our story. And this week, we're really going to talk about our personal values. Well, let's start with a definition. That's often a good place to begin. How would you define a personal value? Yeah, that is a great question. I mean, the typical thing when we go through an exercise with somebody is, you know, they'll go through and list things that are important to them, like, uh, you know, financial freedom or family or creativity. And those, those are all good things you could consider to be personal values. For us, what we look at is we try to explore it a little differently, is what is it that really, truly lights you up? Right. So instead of a theoretical value, something that's a little more emotional, something we feel is important. Yeah. And, and the difference is you could say maybe that it's, it's not so much aspirational, right. uh, you know, I should have this yeah. value, as what truly, for me, lights me up. Right. Because as we know, and as we wrote, nobody likes to be should upon, <laughs> even by themselves. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> And so uh, the uh, the thing that, that I think is somewhat confronting, and I, I know this from doing this exercise with co- coaching clients, as you do, and I know it from doing it myself, this whole idea of values, still, I still struggle sometimes with what I think they should be versus mm-hmm. what truly lights me up. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the things we do with clients is say, well, let's just start with what lights you up. Yeah. We can always get back to shooting upon ourselves if we, yeah. if we really feel the need to. Well, this is so important uh, in a really practical way because a lot of us are burdened with the sense of duty. Right. Which is often at cross purposes with what we really want. And so then we feel guilty yeah. about that. I remember doing a, a group session and was polling individuals as to what their values were and what they what they wanted, trying to get them in touch with what they wanted. And I remember one very earnest woman who spoke about world peace and other lofty ideals. Well, we already had learned that she was in dire straits. She didn't mm. have a home beyond that month. Wow. She had to find a new house. Uh, she had some financial problems. She had a litany of personal issues that were obviously really important and that she felt strongly about. And yet she was elevating herself to this theoretical level. I mean, world peace, obviously we want that. But in terms of emotion, I think there were other more pressing issues. Well, and so, you know, as we start to look at, at personal values, if if we can walk through and maybe we, we suggest just start out with maybe four or five or six things that you say, you know, when I do this, I feel totally alive. Or when I'm in the process of this, I just feel, you know, whole and, and, and complete and so forth. And, and to kind of create that list as a starting place of, of what it is that, that lights us up individually. You know, we've both done this in one form or another many times and encountered resistance in some people, 
even in including ourselves, ourselves yeah <laughs> and I, what I've concluded is that we're sometimes afraid to do this because yeah we'll learn that we're living in compromise you know we may have a secure job it may be paying the bills but it's not lighting us up right well and that 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 happens a lot and so you know the next the next question that really comes up is how do I distinguish between a personal value one that's genuine for me and one that I've borrowed from society or my family or my religion or whatever it might be. Well, the simplest and, and easiest to understand example of this is the child who grows up to fulfill the uh, goals of the parent. The parent had a dream, it didn't materialize, so now they'd like to see it materialize through their son, who they want to be a doctor or a lawyer. Meanwhile, the son wants to be an artist or a musician, so they have different values. Yeah, I was talking to a young woman recently who's, she's a very talented uh, MD, uh, but has gone off in a completely different direction now. Um, she said, my father insisted that I, that I become a doctor. This was his dream for me. Yeah. And after becoming a doctor, I realized it wasn't my dream for yeah. me. Yeah. And so she completely made a, a change in, in her direction and is doing something that is much more enjoyable for her. So, you know, that, that question of, I think, does it genuinely light me up? Or is it a, a duty or an obligation that I'm carrying from my ancestors, my family, or, or whatever? You know, there's a number of layers to this. I'm remembering the book by Robert Johnson, Living Your Unlived Life, where he says that the greatest burden all of us carry are the unlived dreams of our parents. <laughs> Gosh. You think about that, and we've both done enough one-on-one -on -one work with people to understand how powerful that can be. And I think there's something valid about it. I, I can remember my dad, and he was a very responsible man, lived between the lines, always provided for the family, but he didn't exactly live on the wild side. You know, so yeah, that's yeah. in me, is, is this desire to take a few more risks and kind of go for it. And sometimes when I'm doing that, I, I could swear I feel the presence of my dad kind of <laughs> egging me on. <laughs> so it's not necessarily a bad thing. Right, right. Because we do owe a debt of gratitude to our ancestors. However, we can't really compromise our own values in favor of the ones we borrowed from them. Yeah, it doesn't seem to work too well. And, and there's a whole different road about, uh, you know, living out our parents' dreams or not. My dad was a really humble guy, very talented, but just based on how he was read, kind of children would be seen and not heard. That was the era of his yeah. parents. And so even though he was very talented, he was reluctant uh, to accept awards for his work. Mm. Um, he did World's Fair exhibits and mm. you know, received citations and awards, most of which we found in a drawer after he had passed mm. that he had mm. never shared with us. Mm because it just wasn't something that he would allow himself to celebrate. Well, what, what was that, do you think? What was the value that he had that was driving him? Well, I'm not sure that it was a value as much as it was um, that it wasn't appropriate. So it was based more a on, limiting belief. Yeah, limiting yeah. belief or maybe borrowed values from his parents' generation uh -huh. that standing out is not a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, how did that affect you? Well, it's, it did affect me because what happened was I, I had the very same experience you did. I knew there were things he wanted to do that he either never got the chance to do or didn't take the chance to do uh, for various reasons. And so I started to 
you know, pursue a similar career to his in, you know, in television and film. And what happened was, as I began to succeed, you know, at a measure beyond what he'd been able to, I noticed that he was both happy for me, mm. and I might have been projecting this onto him, that he was also feeling some sense of sadness mm. about himself. Ah, uh, regret. Yeah, and uh, Gay Hendricks in his book, The Big Leap, talks about things that hold us back, and one of them is the fear of outshining uh, a parent or uh -huh. a sibling uh -huh. or someone else significant yeah. in yeah. our life. And I, I really had to work through that a lot in my life because I wanted to both honor his legacy and take it forward and at the same time felt a little bit guilty for succeeding beyond the realm of what he'd been able to do. I had something quite similar with my dad and my mom, actually, because I ended up kind of flying the coop, you know, getting out of the straight and narrow and living a very unconventional life. And I can remember at various moments visiting my parents and them kind of marveling at the fact that I was holding it all together. And some real admiration emerged at a certain point in them about how I was living a very different life and obviously happy, successful in my own way. And it was actually quite sweet, uh, as I recall. But I, I remember what uh, remember feeling what you were just talking about. I didn't want to cause my dad especially to get into regret about his life. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so that, I kind of dimmed it down a little bit. That, well, and that was the thing. I mean, he was always very proud of me and my brother for what we'd done. But I, I know I just I carried that along. So, you know, then there's the difference you have, uh, and we're kind of talking about that maybe even for my for my dad and how it impacted me and you in your family is the difference between the genuine personal values that we have and we've identified that they're no they're not borrowed they really do light me up versus how I'm living those values in my life how well am I actually infusing them into my life this is such an important point and I want to suggest that from personal experience it's doubly challenging for anyone who is in, a, in an acknowledged leadership position. Because I've noticed that it's actually easy to kind of publicly proclaim certain values enough that you believe you're living them. <laughs> Telling yes. these stories, yep. and I've, I've talked with some of my peers who have written books and make presentations, and they've shaken their heads and said, oh my God, I... I've been saying this for years and just realized I'm not, I'm not really living that. I just got busted by my wife or an employee or someone said, hey, you're saying this, but you're not doing it. Well, yeah, exactly. I think it's, it's um, a humbling experience. I know just myself from having a sense of thinking that I was doing something really well and having, whether it was, you know, one of my, one of my kids or somebody else say to me, you're not really doing that so well. Mm -hmm. You you talk about it as if you were, but you're not. Mm -hmm. And that I think, you know, our willingness to really look at that mm -hmm. um, can feel kind of challenging. That's why mm -hmm. I think this whole conversation of values, when we work with clients on it, it's kind of confronting mm -hmm. because I think somewhere along the line, we're almost like afraid to be busted, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, you're reminding me of uh, a talk Wayne Dyer gave at the Unity Church in Maui when my wife and I lived there. He did that every Christmas. Wayne had quite a few children, and apparently one of his children, his young daughter, 
was really on his case about how he was presenting himself as a parenting expert. And she said, huh, you're such a lousy dad. She was really busting right, his chops. Right. And finally said, well, you know, you chose me to be your father. Well, wow. absolutely stopped her in her tracks. She'd never heard a thing like that. He said, what? He said, all children choose their parents. Well, that's kind of an that's a nice idea. Out. <laughs> anyway, she thought about this for a moment and said, well, I must have been in a real hurry. Yeah. Well, yeah, I could. I I've certainly I don't present myself as a parenting expert for that very reason. I yeah. I know that there were things that I so definitely could have done better. Uh, and I think that that is one of the things that's also challenging is when we're when we're espousing certain values like you and I both have a real passion for this idea of thriving mm -hmm. and for sharing that with other people. It is definitely something that lights us both up. Now, that doesn't mean that I necessarily consider myself to be the epitome of, of thriving. I, I'm, I'm, right. I understand the principles. I'm working on it. Somehow I understand how to share them with people. And there are times when I thrive in certain areas and other places I'm just, you know, hanging on. Well, you know, I've, I struggled for this, with this years ago because I realized I was being pretentious in the times when I wasn't living my values and was pretending that I was. Yeah. Which is a tendency when you're in any kind of acknowledged position, you kind of cover your tracks. So I, I've come to understand that it's not about being the epitome of perfection. It's about being conscious. And well, the moment yeah. one is aware that one isn't living one's values, in our case, you know, if I go, you know, I'm not really thriving right now. Well, it's not a reason to beat myself up. It's just a moment of conscious awareness where I go, oh, okay, let's see now. Ah, I could tell a different story. I could uh, discern what my biases are. I could examine my values. We've got all these practices, all these tools, and you and I are in a great position to be conscious about ourselves, honest, yeah. And then, you know, pick a tool out of the bag. Well, and realize that it's always a work in progress. You exactly. Know? I mean, we, we have our great days. We have our days that are, that are less than great. And so, you know, one of the things we do, and, and I go through this exercise, and, and again, this is probably the most confronting chapter in our book and mm -hmm. the most confronting module for me personally well, is it really demands personal honesty yeah and and one of the things is 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 when i look at the the process we have of of saying okay how do how do i really ensure that i live the rest of my life more in alignment with my values and one of the things we do is we we create a uh, a lifeline we call it yeah. like on one end is birth and the other end is death and i look at where am I? Where do I think I am on that lifeline? Am I at the midpoint? Am I getting towards the end? You know, am I, you know, think I'm only a third of the way through? Um, then I'm going to be Methuselah or something. I <laughs> <laughs> <You> wish. <laughs> but, you know, it's once I do that, then the exercise is to identify, well, what are the things that I've done or experienced up until now mm -hmm. that have really been in alignment and really been fulfilling and lit me up mm -hmm. you know so that I, I take a look at what how has my life been up till now mm -hmm. what have been the things that have worked what have been the things that I that I was passionate about and, mm -hmm. and did well mm -hmm. now I can make a hold of the list of what didn't I do mm -hmm. well and that's a different exercise but mm -hmm. that's that's step one well and it's so obvious I think in the field of athletics this is easy to see 
at half time, coach usually makes an adjustment. And that's how he does it. He looks at what's been working, what hasn't been working. It would be ridiculous to say, well, let's keep on doing what's not working and we'll expect a different <laughs> result. You change your tactics. Well, and I think that's the idea of this exercise is to say wherever I am on that lifeline, I've got the rest of my life ahead of me, however long that is. And what do I want to do differently? How is it that I can live my life in such a way that I am really more consciously doing the things and creating the experiences that do light me up, that are in alignment with my values? You're reminding me of a couple of my favorite quotes from Einstein. One, the definition of insanity is doing the same <laughs> right. thing over and over again and expecting a different result. It's exactly what you're talking about yeah. here. But Einstein also said that we can't solve problems with the same thinking that created them. Yeah. So let's talk about a different way of thinking here about values. I, I mean, I think we already are. Well, you know, I think for me, I had this huge aha. I had the chance to work with Microsoft for a few years around this whole idea of values and work-life quality and so on. And one of the things I discovered really just through my conversations with people is that it dawned on me that we were unknowingly most of us choosing to allow circumstances to determine whether or not we could live our values. Yeah. So if I had a compromising values. Yeah, if I had a job that that just really wasn't enjoyable for me, then I was consigned to have a sucky job. Yeah. And and I I understand some jobs are just truly difficult and sometimes the circumstances are rugged and when we get a chance we're going to dive out and find something else. But what I began to explore with them and we started to generate through our conversations with each other was the realization that I can bring my values and infuse them into any situation I'm yes. in. Uh, it was through coaching somebody, and this just dawned on me because of the conversations he and I had been having, he hated to go to these one particular meetings. Hmm. And we started talking about, well, you know, you've got a real high value on creativity. You love the creative process. What if you decided to walk into that room and just model creativity? Totally different mindset. Yeah, and just in, look for the opportunities, even if it's one opportunity during the meeting where you're going to infuse creativity into thinking of, of what everybody's thinking. Well, that's natural for us all. We're wired that way. But unfortunately, the way we've set up our economy on the, the reward basis it's actually easy to just settle for what you get back for your input. So you go to work and you get a paycheck. Well, is that really satisfying? Well, it pays the bills, but it isn't necessarily tapping into your deep passion for being alive. Right. I remember uh, the book by Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, where he recounted as he was a youth, he had a rich dad and a poor dad, and his rich dad was a mentor who told him in his first job, making 35 cents a day or something, that the money was the least of the reward. The bigger part of the value in the job was what he could learn there, the connections he could make, and how he could leave there enriched by working there, not just from the money. I've never forgotten that. Yeah, and that's that's one of those things, and again, you know, when we talk about values, um, you know, how we do value finances, how we do value money is is different depending on how we grew up. And so part of it is is 
if I've had a value, especially if I start realizing it was one I inherited or borrowed or picked up through osmosis, you know, the question is, is it serving, yeah. you know, me and my ability to live life in a way that is deeply fulfilling? Well, that's what I was referring to earlier about the uh, the threat to this, how we may shrink away from it, because if we come to a full stop and examine a value and say, is this value serving me? We may realize that it's not, and then of course, change is called for. Well, yeah, and depending on what that what that value is that we're calling into question, um, it can be a pretty big, um, really tied into our identity mm -hmm. and our whole story. Mm -hmm. You know that sometimes our story is based on um, an inherited or adopted value that we think we should be this particular person. I had a coaching client one time great young guy immensely talented just had a voice that that you know when he sang i mean it's mm -hmm. like it's almost like people stopped in their tracks mm -hmm. and wow. so he his uh his dream as he described it to me was to go to nashville and to become a a, a country artist mm -hmm. and so we started working together on that and and i had some background in in that industry and so forth but i noticed that he would get to a certain point and keep stopping mm -hmm. like he kept doing little sabotage mechanisms mm -hmm. and so i asked him one day i said let me ask you a question you talk about this dream longingly mm -hmm. but it seems like you're longing for someone else rather than you mm. and he i That's mean it was very just astute. well it was just an, an intuitive How, what, what hit. did he what did he say How he said well my my dad always wanted to be a country star and ah. never could and so he's encouraged me to really do that and i said well do you want to and he there was this long pause and he said i honestly don't know Wow, what a moment. So I, I gave him a challenge and said if he was up for this, how about you and your wife, because they were young and didn't have kids yet, move to Nashville for, for a while. You've got a transportable skill. You're a great house painter. I'm sure you can get on a crew there. Mm -hmm. And go hang out there and soak in mm -hmm. what it's like to be mm -hmm. in a country artist world. Mm -hmm. So he took me up on it because he really realized he needed to know. Mm -hmm. He went there. A year and a half or two, he came back and said, no, that's not my dream. Well, you see, this is very interesting, Chris. I mean, you were really providing some leadership for him in your mentoring. And in that case, he needed to go and try it out before he could know. Yeah. I think that's an important point to make. Uh, sometimes we're hard on ourselves if we don't immediately know all the answers. But there are things that we need to discover, and that may take some digging. Yeah, take some time and the willingness for him to really shift the identity he'd created for himself since he was young. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was a big thing for him yeah. to let go of this identity. Yeah, well, and being... it wasn't a failure. No. This is something else we should speak to because uh, it's easy to consider something like that a failure. He failed to do this. Well, no. He tried it out and discovered that wasn't really a value that he was passionate about. He didn't want to do that. No, and the thing so that that's, was that was actually a success. The thing that's interesting is this guy is a wonderfully successful house painter, has a great company and crew. He loves what he does because he gets to change people's environment. He loves to see how it lights them up. He's finally given himself the freedom yeah. to carry out the story that really is true for him. Well, let's talk about leadership relative to this, because in one way or another, all of us are in a position of leadership. It may just be in our own family, but it can very well be at work. 
How can we help our team members really get in touch with their personal values? Well, so part of that would be to really start to start to ask people the question. Yeah, what is it you're passionate about? What is what, it that, what lights you yeah, up? Yeah, what lights you up? And and as a leader, I mean, I learned this in my different executive roles was once I learned what that was, well, where could we start to have that be more a part of your job? Now, sometimes there's... So, so in other words, an aspect of what they were doing was lighting them up more than others. So find out what that is and then see how you could grow it. Yeah, yeah. if there's more opportunities to involve them in yeah. things like that, great. Sometimes there's not. So it would be, you know, what are some of the other values you have and how could you bring that to a mundane situation that currently isn't very exciting for you? Well, you're just speaking to the perceived limitations of a circumstance and blowing that wide open. Right, right. And And like I said, I mean, I really have to thank all those people I worked with at Microsoft for kind of having the conversations that opened up that whole notion that our values are not determined by circumstance. They can be infused into anything we do and anybody we meet. Well, and, you know, we can make a game out of this. Uh, I'm recalling yeah. uh, an, an experience I had, I think I was in my 20s, and was a program director at a small TV station up in Canada. And the uh, my boss was someone who had opposite the values that I had. Oh, interesting. And we clashed often. He considered me a young liberal kind of character, and he was a uh, establishment uh, guy who uh, believed in the system and saw me as a rebel. And so we would clash, especially on budgets. You know, I would need to buy a new camera, something for a new editing bay or whatever, and uh, we would clash on this. And so I decided at one point that the value I wanted to experience more of in the workplace with him was harmony, that we could enjoy each other's company. Yeah, yeah. So I can still remember going into his office, and he was a chain smoker. And I didn't smoke, but I had smoked many years before. So I went in, sat down, and I said, oh, you got, a, you got another cigarette? He almost fell off his chair <laughs> because I was this health food guy who didn't smoke. And he said, well, you don't smoke. And I said, oh, once in a while, which was true. It hadn't it'd been like three years. <laughs> so I had a cigarette with him. And that one simple act bridged the gap between us and began to change our relationship. That's really interesting. And I, I used to do that then, like once every couple of weeks, I'd go in and have a little bit of a cigarette, drink some terrible coffee. And it was a gesture that to him meant I was willing to get on the bridge a little bit in his direction. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I think one of the things in, in the uh, online game that we've been developing, uh, one of the challenges we have for our module about values is to think of your situation in your life, your work or at home, and then something find something that's maybe not as alive as you'd like it to be and say what value could i infuse into that situation that would really change my experience of it now for you you infused harmony into yeah. what had been a difficult situation and you know that really worked yeah yeah he and i i mean he was 40 years older than me totally different values we actually became really good friends well and so that ability to infuse our values into a situation if we're bringing in curiosity or creativity or love or peace or family you know okay so how can i treat you know the people i work with and care about them more deeply you know whatever that might be you know i i think chris the cherry on the top of the uh, chocolate sundae here is that we're all working with each other and ultimately 
This is to, to be empowered individually and help others experience that the same, that we're all working in teams. It may yeah. be our family, it may be at work, but to be authentic. I'm living my values and I would love you to be living yours and let's do that together. Well, and yeah, and what can I do to help you more fully step into what lights you up? And, you know, I, uh, for some people, that sometimes means a career change. I mean, there's a whole lot of yeah. things that come out it of it could that, be are, dramatic, that yeah. are dramatic, but most of the time, it's literally just about improving yeah. the quality of our day-to-day -day experiences together. Well, we hope this program's had value for you <laughs> yeah. as we wind it up and uh, look forward to seeing you again uh, next week. Uh, this is Will signing off. And this is Christopher Harding. And if you want to contact us, you can reach out and, and uh, email us at thrivinginbusinessandlife at gmail.com. Talk to you again next week. <laughs>